Welcome to the Table Podcast. We hope what you hear today inspires joy in your heart and causes you to be convinced that God is good and He is for you. Enjoy the message. Um, <laughs> well, as I was preparing for this message, I actually I ran across a, a, a commercial. Now, I don't know if y'all remember this. We're going to play it here in a second, but there was a Gillette, the 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 razor company put out a commercial that went viral. Like I'm talking 40 million views a couple years ago. All right, so we're going to play it real fast. Two movement against sexual masculinity. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? <laughs> what I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. Months, but she says And there will be no going back. Because we. We believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right way. Not cool. Not cool. Some already are. In ways big. And small. I am strong. But some is not enough. It's not how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. So I don't know if y'all remember that. I was just up here like, uh-huh, give me some of that. I don't know if you guys remember that commercial, but when I re-saw that, I was like, man, if culture is identifying an issue with manhood, and the church has the answer, we need to be talking about this more. That we have the answer in Jesus, the perfect man. That we actually have hope. And I think this is a great commercial, it's inspiring, but it also leaves me kind of sad because culturally speaking, without the Spirit of God in your life, you can be a moral, decent, good man, but you can never be a man that allows flourishing around you. You can never be a man that God has fully intended you to be unless you know God. And so I just, man, I was, I was taken aback by this commercial. I was like, man, like, there is an issue with masculinity in our society. There is an issue, and if culture's talking about it, we gotta talk about it. And so, in order to do that, I mean, I love the book of Genesis. We have to know how God intended for things to be before we can look to how to, like, how to make this impactful in our own lives. And so we're gonna start in Genesis 2. If you have your Bible, if you have your phone, it'll be on the screen. We're going to start much like we did last week, but we're going to look specifically at men's night. Before I get there, I just say, I'm just going to be really straightforward with you guys about my goal for tonight. All right. My, I have three goals for tonight. I have a goal for everyone. I have a goal for men and I have a goal for women. My goal for everybody, every single person in this room is that I hope and pray that you leave tonight feeling like you have a biblical understanding of manhood. Okay. There's a lot in there, and so maybe if nothing else, it just increases your desire to learn more. For men, men, look at me. My goal for you tonight 
is that you feel inspired by the word of God to leave here tonight and be a man. And if you find yourself being a boy and doing boyish things, that you leave that behind you tonight. And that you rise up and be the man that God has called you to be. And for my ladies, I'm so glad you are here because ladies, you need to know what you deserve. No, I was expecting more than that. That's fine. Thank you. <laughs> Thought that was low-hanging fruit. You, I want, to, I want to raise your expectations of what you deserve, of how you deserve to be treated, and I want to give you some things to look for in a guy that you're interested in getting to know more, that you're interested in dating, and that you can come to the Word of God, and you can find some characteristics that are required to really be a godly man. And I'm also asking along the way that you're gracious to us and you help us get to the place that God wants us to be. All right? So that's my goal for, for every single person tonight. Genesis 2, 15 says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So again, at this point in the story, this is before God had created Eve. And this is before God had said anything was not good. So up to this point, everything is still good. And that's important to know, because what does God do with the man? What does God do with Adam? God puts Adam into the garden to work it and to keep it. And so I did a little digging. Work it here is the Hebrew word abad, and it means to cultivate, to tend to, to shape and manage something in such a way that it bears life. So Adam was placed in the garden to work it, to cultivate it, to create something beautiful with his hands and to keep it. Keep it is the Hebrew word shamar. It means to defend, to guard, to protect. And so why this is important is because God made Adam with an intense amount of purpose in his heart. God placed purpose in the heart of Adam and he said, Adam, it is good for you to work. It is good for you to tend to the garden. It is good for you to cultivate this and create something beautiful out of this creation. Purpose is built into the heart, into the core of every man. Without purpose, you become a boy. Boys don't have purpose. Men have purpose. God designed it that way. God designed men to work and to protect and to cultivate and to help others around them flourish. This is God's design. Adam had purpose in his life. But unfortunately, we, we don't live in that type of environment. Up until this point in this entire series, I, we have just been in Genesis 1 and 2. <laughs> we haven't gotten very far. And Genesis 1 and 2 was amazing. It was exactly, it's actually where we're getting back to one day. One day when we're in heaven, we will have that perfect relational harmony with God and with each other once again. Praise God for that. But for now, we all know this, we don't live in that type of utopia. We live in a post-Genesis 3 world. The first two chapters of the Bible were amazing, and the rest of the book of the Bible is God redeeming it back to that place. So Genesis 3, this is where we find ourselves now and this is where we have to come to terms with where we are. So Genesis 3, 6 and 7, it says this. God had, had created Eve, Adam and Eve were naked, felt no shame. And then this. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I mean, verse seven is one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. That after sin entered the world out of disobedience to God, which we will get there, after sin entered the world through disobedience, that relational harmony fractured. That ability for Adam and Eve to be fully themselves, fully known, fully loved, gone. And they did what humans up to this day still do, they hid themselves. They hid themselves from one another. They hid themselves from God, from their creator, who had up until this point was walking with them in the cool of the night in the garden. Like he was fully present in their lives. And at this point, that relational harmony fractured. We find ourselves living in the consequence of this decision today. But the consequence gets worse for men, all right? 17 and 19, Genesis 3, 17 through 19 says this, to Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I command you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. God, thank you so much. He's reminding Adam, you dust, boy. Like, I'm like Adam had to be pretty offended at this point. Like, he was feeling good about himself, and God's like, uh-uh, you dust still. Like, that has been, I'm like, dang, God. Is that? No, but there, at this point, two major consequences entered into the world for men. First, Relational fracture with women, all right? Relational fracture with women, which we'll get to. And secondly, there is now pain and sweat and work. Up until this point, work was fun. Work was easy. Work was everything that Adam was created to do. And now God says, hey, buddy, you're going to have pain in your work. You're going to have sweat from your brow as you're trying to feed your family, as you're trying to feed yourself, as you're trying to create a life, it's gonna be hard. This is the consequence that we now live in. And we see these consequences, both of these consequences so clearly today. I've been in a group um, for nine weeks, so a few months now at this point with a group of guys here from the table and some other guys at Christ Church. And I've just, we all know it, we're just going there tonight, y'all. I have to, we have to be real. Um, I, just men, not just from the table, but men all over the church were just coming to us pastors and saying, hey, I, I've got issues. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with my sexual desires, and I don't know what to do with it. And so we started a group for men to hold each other accountable, to fight this fight, to wage war with something that is tearing relationships apart. It's, it's, it's making women become objects to men. It has absolutely ruined relationships, pornography that is. And so, man, we, we just decided we need to take it serious as a church. And so I've been in a group of some men and we've been walking through what does this look like? How do we fight this? And I've learned some really interesting things about 
how we have gotten to the sexually perverted culture that we find ourselves in now, because I don't, it hasn't always been this way in America. America actually at one point had a moral compass. America at one point actually desired, had some Judeo-Christian values, and all of that just seems completely opposite of where we are today. And so I wanna give you guys just some like hard facts, some hard information of how we've gotten to this place, because it's not by accident. We haven't just stumbled into this place. There has been men and people along the way in American history that have gotten us to where we are. And so in 1948 is what they call the turning point in America. There was a guy by the name of Alfred Kinsey. He was a doctor and he wrote a book called Sexual Behavior of the Human Male and Sexual Behavior of the Human Female. This began what is, as historians call, the sexual revolution. You probably have heard that somewhere before, the sexual revolution. This began by this one man, because this was his idea. This is the point that he tried to prove, that humans were sexual from birth, which is true, God created sex, but what we deemed as immoral was actually normal, thus making it moral. And so the sexual perversion that people were feeling guilty for, that people were trying to run and hide from, but that they kept falling into, he said, no, 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 no. You're just being who you're supposed to be by giving into those things. Sound familiar? And so, but what is so dark about the way that this man captured his data and, and the way that he justified these decisions is he employed pedophiles. Yes, what is right? He employed men, grown men, who sexually harassed and raped little kids. And this is where he collected his data. It is darkness. The sexual revolution that is freedom and us just living our lives, our truth, is a hoax. It's off false data from a man who died from a disease because he masturbated too much, all right? The, the preacher of sexual revolution died from his own message. Jesus died a different death from his own message, but he raised from the grave, amen? amen? So the sexual revolution that we find ourselves in today is a hoax. It's a hoax. And what it did is these uh, reports that he produced changed laws in America to make pornography legal and changed abortion laws. False data from pedophiles is where we find ourselves today with the laws that are made about sex. <laughs> this is really vile or, or really graphic, but the person in the documentary said, America has been raped. Sorry, that's really aggressive, but she said it and I was like, my gosh, we've been lied to, we've been fooled. And the legalization of pornography has absolutely been a result of the fall and has fractured relationships between man and female and God never wanted it to be that way. But there's hope. And men, we can set the tone. We can make a difference. I'm so passionate about this because addicted is a strong word, but I was, you could probably classify my battles with pornography as addiction in high school. And for years, 
the reason last week I shared kind of my story, and it was funny, the reason I went years and years without talking to girls or without pursuing relationships is because I was a broken, dirty mess. And I'm sick and tired of seeing Satan win when it comes to pornography and sexual perversion that is all around us. And so men, can we fight? There's a war for your soul and the enemy's kicking our butts. And you're better, like we have something better, something greater, something stronger living inside of us and we have each other. So we don't have to be like Adam and Eve in the moment and hide. We don't have to hide from, from each other. We don't have to hide from God. It is the perfection of Jesus that covers you, that allows you to come to the light. And so my prayer for this message, men, look at me, is that you don't leave tonight without talking to somebody. You can't do it alone. We all feel personal shame. We all feel like we're the only ones, and you're not. All right, statistics show about 90% of men look at pornography. 60 to 70% in the church, 30% of pastors. That's just men, females too. But we cannot no longer act like this isn't an issue. And it's not just pornography. Manhood's a lot bigger than that, but it is such, has such a grip on us that I just, I want us to, to be a place, to be a community that talks about it, that finds freedom, that finds forgiveness because the blood of Jesus covers you. The cross is stronger than your sin. The grace of God, as we were singing earlier, I just felt that, that lyric that may his face be upon you, or that's not the right word, but I just felt like God was like, I, my face is turned towards y'all tonight. His face is turned towards you tonight. And his face isn't a face of condemnation. His face is a face of freedom. And he wants freedom for you tonight, men. Women, we'll get to you next week. My wife will. I ain't, I ain't fighting that battle. Um, but this is so important, y'all. This is so important. Biblical manhood is so important. And what I'm about to say before you write me off, I think if we think about it long enough, it's true that as goes the men, so goes society. When men don't lead, when men stay boys, when men are not a part of the family, families fail. Not always. The grace of God covers single mamas, I promise you. But statistically speaking, when men are not present, Families don't flourish. When families don't flourish, churches don't flourish. When churches don't flourish, cities don't flourish. When cities don't flourish, states don't flourish, so on and so on. It starts with men and it starts in homes. That's just true. And women, you have a massive role to play in helping us become the men that we need to be. You have to, you have to raise that bar. Don't let us get away with boyish behaviors. Don't date a boy. Only date men. And I promise you, men, when called up, generally tend to rise to the occasion. Try it. And if it doesn't work, I can't give you a money-back guarantee, but I think it will work. <laughs> All right? Give it a shot. Because here's the deal. You can be a male, but you, but you may not be a man. Because being a man is a matter of the heart. It's not about your statue, Statue, your stature, dang, that was gonna be a good point. It's not about your stature, it's about your soul. 
All right? It's not about your charisma. It's about your character. Being a man is a matter of the heart. I think we've bought into some of the cultural ways of identifying as a man. You gotta be strong enough. You gotta be, you gotta be able to grow a beard. You gotta, be, you gotta hunt. You gotta drive a big truck, blah, 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 blah. None of those things make you a man. They make you a male, maybe. Doesn't make you a man. And so, for the rest of our time, I'm gonna talk about four marks of biblical manhood. All right, I think from, gener- from, from Genesis to Revelation, I believe that there are common themes of the way God talks about manhood in the Bible. And so my hope, honestly, is that if anything, this just spurs you on to want to study more and look into it more because there's no way, there's so much I want to say. Oh my gosh, I've had the hardest time trying to fit all this into one message. This could be six messages, but four marks of biblical manhood. Y'all ready? Okay, you may be ready. Number one, humility before God. The first mark of biblical manhood is you have to have a relationship with God. And you can't have a relationship with God if you're not humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God desires a humble man. And in humility, when we come to God, he, he makes us into the type of men that he wants us to believe or he wants us to be. But today in the world around us, you know, athletes, you know, puff up their chests, give a little, little hoorah after a big play, you know, CEOs, you know, flaunt their money and success. In locker rooms, my gosh, women never go into a male locker room. The way that, that, I'm not even going to go there. The way that men talk about women in locker rooms is horrendous. But this is the culture that we live in, and this is all pride. Pride comes before the fall. I don't want y'all to fall. God gives grace to the humble. He lifts up the head of the lowly. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so it's not cool to be a macho man all puffed up and proud. I promise you. It's not attractive. It's not cool. Humility is the mark of a biblical man. Jesus was the most humble man to ever walk the face of the earth. He stooped down on his knees to wash his disciples' feet, and he is Lord of lords. Who are you to puff your chest up? Who am I to think that I am something apart from God? So what does humility before God practically look like? I think it looks like us acknowledging our imperfection. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Don't find some sort of self-righteousness to cling on to. Acknowledge your imperfection. Accept Jesus for your salvation and, con- and have a continual sense of dependence on God. I think that's a big one. A lot of us in this room may have done the first two. We've accepted Jesus as Savior. We recognize our sin, but we're not continually dependent on God. And when we see things, we have some form of success, or we get that great grade, or we get that girl finally. We start thinking that we can do it on our own. But it's a continual dependence on God that makes you a real man. So number one, humility before God. Number two, biblical men accept responsibility. Accept responsibility. Real men own their stuff, all right? This is a really silly example, but I got really embarrassed a couple months ago because West Monroe, the city, came out to our house, and, and we thought they were going to be fixing a plumbing issue that we thought we had. And, and next thing I know, I go talk to the guy, and he was turning off our water. And I was like, why are you turning off our water? Like, uh, we've been paying you know, all these things. And he's like, no, you haven't. So for three months... I'd forgotten to pay the water bill, all right? 
being like a boy. And, and so he shows up, turns off the water, and I immediately get so defensive. I am so, like, this is not my fault. This is your fault. And, and Morgan's like, what was that? And, and, you know, she kind of like very sweetly, but she was asking questions, and I was ticked. I was so mad at myself, but at the same time, I was defending, I mean, I was deflecting. This isn't my responsibility. So I go, and I pay for it, and they come back, and I just remember feeling like such a jerk because I was rude to Morgan. I was definitely rude to this poor man that was just doing his job. It's because I, I was deflecting responsibility. I didn't own my stuff. Real men own their stuff. I should have been humble enough in that moment to say, you know what, that's on me. I, I actually have forgotten to pay the water bill. But guys, we got it back in a few hours, so no big deal. But real men, hey, look at me. Men, if you find yourself going too far physically in your relationship, never blame that on your girlfriend. That's on you. Uh-huh, someone said, preach it. Thank you. <laughs> guys, accept responsibility for the boundaries that you place in your dating relationships. God, girls, I'm really expecting more from y'all here tonight. I need it. I need it. Thank you. Men, it is our responsibility. We set the tone. We set the tone in relationships with women. We also set the tone in our work. Again, part of the result of the fall is pain, and we don't like to work. But God did not create Adam to kick his feet up on the beach drinking Mai Tais. Adam wasn't created to Netflix and chill. Neither are you. You weren't created to sit around playing Xbox all day. I've done it, all right? I've done it. I'm not above anything. I'm just letting you know that God has a purpose and more for you in your work. Laziness is not the heart of God. It's not the heart of God. Have some self-control. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Know yourself. Know your temptations. Know that if you're laying on the couch with your girlfriend, things may go too far. Don't lay on the couch with your girlfriend. Be honest, when we were dating and engaged, Morgan and I couldn't even watch a movie together. I really liked her. And I had some desires. And I knew that if I, even the room was dark, my mind was going to go places that it should not. And so we never even watched TV, barely when we were dating. Because I was a fool who couldn't Keep it together. But know yourself. Know your temptations. Accept responsibility for your decisions. Don't cast blame. Own it. Be a man. That's what it means to be a man. we got to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and own our battles for purity and for work and the things that God has designed you for. We can do this. Number three, reject passivity. In college, we call this reject the P. Reject passivity. There you go. You, you got it. Genesis 3. All right, I want to go back there to Genesis 3 because, you know, the saddest part, the saddest part of the story of how sin entered into the world was that Adam was idly sitting by while Eve was being tempted by Satan. So I want to read this because sometimes we don't get all the details, and the details are super important. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, we're jumping back. It says, this is before Eve was created, just Adam, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God gave this command to Adam. Eve wasn't even alive yet. 
The command for obedience to God was given to Adam. And then in Genesis 3, we read, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Adam, sitting on his hands, being passive while Eve is being tempted by the serpent in the garden. God gave the command to Adam before Eve was even alive. Talk about passivity. Men, because of the fall, because of our sin nature, we are naturally passive people. I hate that about us. I really do. Morgan lovingly corrects me sometimes when I'm just passive in a room or I'm just not stepping into all that God has called me to be because I'm just sitting by being passive. Passivity is a sin. You could argue that it's actually the first sin because Adam sat by on his hands while Eve was getting destroyed by the serpent. He could have stepped in and said, hey baby, no, 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 hey, I love you. I know that apple looks delicious, it ain't for us. You see all the other trees. You see everything else that God has created for us to enjoy. Let's go to that instead. But he sat there and then he ate it with her. Men, don't be passive. Don't be passive. That's a lot easier said than done, trust me. But God has put something in you to be an initiator, to initiate relationships but also to initiate with work, to initiate with purpose. You were not created to sit by idly doing nothing. I love you enough to tell you, you were made to work. You were made to find purpose in work. You were made to pursue women. Thank you. Man, you were made to initiate, to be bold, to reject passivity. Lastly, number four. Godly men lead courageously. They lead courageously. And here's the thing about the word lead. We use it a lot. We talk about it a lot. We see it a lot. There's leadership conferences, leadership books, leadership podcasts, blah, 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 blah. We love the idea of leading. But a a conviction of mine, and I'm not the only one, but a conviction of mine is that as the church, We have allowed leadership principles and ideas from secular businesses to take over when leadership in the Bible is a matter of love and sacrifice. God's leadership seen in Jesus is sacrificial. It's not domineering. It's not pointing your finger at somebody below you. That is anti-biblical. And we've allowed some of these practices to seep into the church and, and, and... I don't think it's what God has for us. It's sure as heck not what God has for men. It's not what he has for us in our relationship with women. It's not what he has for us in how we work. God has made you to lead, and leading is a matter of dying to yourself. It's not fun. Paul could not be more clear in Ephesians 5 when he says, men, husbands, die to yourself. But but she's annoying me, but she's, uh, die to yourself. But I think she's wrong. Die to yourself. You think Jesus didn't think his disciples were a bunch of fools? And what did he do? He died for them. 
Literally. He died for you. He died for me. Leadership for a man is self-sacrificing. It is loving. It is through service. It is not through a way of arrogance. And so right now, single men, or if you're, if you're dating in here tonight, I don't care where you are, if you're not married yet, start practicing this. You have moms, you have sisters, you have cousins, you have friends that are female. Start learning what it looks like to die to yourself for the sake of a woman to be able to flourish. It's what you were designed to do. You were designed to cultivate and to protect. So do it. Don't use women for your own gain. Please, don't use women for your own sexual desires. Love, protect, serve, sacrifice. That is the call for a man. And where we don't do this, families do not flourish. Where families do not flourish, the church does not flourish. Revival that we talk about will never happen when men are selfish and addicted to pornography. So start now. Start now. Don't be weird about it. Be normal. Don't like go up to a friend, but yo, how can I like love and serve you self-sacrificially today? Like, don't do that. (laughs) Be normal, but learn now what it looks like to lead. Here's the thing, it may not be popular. It may not look cool. Who gives a crap? God sees you. God will bless you, and you will be so much better prepared and equipped and ready for your wife one day, and she will flourish in a way that she never would have if you were a boy until you get married. So man up. I love you guys. <laughs> Thank you for letting me be real. So I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm wrapping up, band. That's cute. Um, I'm wrapping up. Everything that I've talked about tonight, from God's design, from how sin has fractured it to like yet we can have redemption in it. I just need you to know that the way, the posture of a biblical man is one of rest. It's not striving. It's not hearing everything I've said tonight and I've saved the best for last. It's not hearing everything I've said tonight and mustering up all of the energy and effort you can find to do this. But it's believing in Romans 5. When Adam sinned, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Thanks, Adam. (laughs) Five verses later, this is where we rest, men. Women, this is how, this is what you remind us of when we constantly fall short, because we will. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this man, Jesus Christ. Men, breathe with me. Everything we've talked about, you can't accomplish on your own. And God doesn't ask you to. Tonight, with God's face turned towards you, 
Would you receive the gift of Jesus in your place? You aren't good enough on your own. You never will be good enough on your own. You will fall daily, constantly. You will not be able to have victory over your your mind, over sexual desires. You can't do it on your own. I don't care how hard you try. But Jesus was the perfect man. Everything we just talked about, Jesus was and more. He was the perfect man. And he, in his self-sacrificial leadership love, laid down his life so that you could be a godly man. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. At the table, we are discovering Jesus together. If you were encouraged by today's message, do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. That way you never miss out on future episodes. Also, help us get the word out by sharing this podcast on your preferred social media platform. To keep up on what's happening in our community, you can follow us on Facebook at The Table or on Instagram at The Table CCLA.